We have fast-forwarded a little bit in Exodus to Exodus 23 tonight. We are leading into, of course, Holy Week, and we are going to look at a section on what is called the Pilgrim Feasts. These are the three major pilgrim feasts or holidays for the nation of Israel, and they have great significance for us. We're going to read the uh, passage together, which is very short, Exodus 23. We're beginning in verse 14. If you'd stand for the reading of God's word, Exodus 23, 14. For those of you who have joined us at home, welcome. We love you. Exodus 23, 14 says, three times a year, you shall celebrate a feast to me, the Lord speaking to the nation of Israel early in their, after their sojourn from Egypt. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, Exodus 23, 15. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Also you shall observe the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. Also the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field, three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord God. You may be seated. Father, thank you again for your word. And as we look at the pilgrim feast of Israel and we study this most majestic uh, idea of festivals and how it points to the Messiah and even points to what's happened and what's ahead, we're so grateful for these feasts and what we can learn from them and how they do apply to your church even in this day. And there's a calendar that you set for the rhythm of the people of God. And there's a calendar for us as well. And I pray that whatever you want us to hear tonight about the way we order our lives and how we are to be in tune with the way you'd have us to spend our time and to walk out our lives and to have our priorities. Would you help us, Lord? Would you grant us insight? Would you grant us um, the ability to hear what the Spirit says to the church in this hour and to obey you for your glory? In Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Now, you all know that very early in Israel's history, God established a weekly rhythm of life, and that was six days of work and one day of rest. The day of rest, actually in Jewish time chronology, uh, would begin sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday, because remember, the Jewish day is evening and then morning. And so even till today, there are people who practice what we might call the rhythm of the Sabbath day. Some people are Jewish, you know, by their lineage. Some may not be. I have a friend that uh, has decided to practice, at least for a portion of the time that he was telling me about this. He's a Gentile, but he felt like just kind of getting into that mode of rest and worship was a good thing for his family. It's nothing that obviously is uh, mandated for a Gentile believer in Christ. But nonetheless, that's something that he did. And um, the Sabbath day, early on in Israel's history, we see this set up, for example, in the commandments in Exodus 28 through 11. The Lord lays out the rhythm of a weekly life. And I do believe that there is a great power in you getting used to a rhythm of life to order your life. And I'm talking about a rhythm of worship. I'm talking about days when you actually can turn off other things and actually rest and refresh. So the Sabbath day, or what's known as the Shabbat, was for that purpose, so that the people could rest, the people could refresh. It was not to be used as a normal business day. Now, in the United States, what happened to us in our history is that we adopted Sunday because we're very much a Christian-dominated country, at least in earlier times. And so much of uh, the, the, the shops and you know, sports and that kind of thing did not happen on Sundays because it was kind of expected that everybody went to church. Now, we can debate all day whether or not America is a Christian nation or not. That's almost irrelevant to this discussion because I'm just talking to a group of Christians. But when a group of Christians inhabit a place, whether it's the United States or another place, our priority will be the worship of our God, I would think. And I, and I believe since you're sitting here on a Wednesday night, that's become your priority. And so Israel was given this as a command. In fact, it's one of the top commandments Keep the Sabbath day holy. Amen? 
you know, shut it down, focus on me, focus on rest, focus on, you know, even other people in your life. Now, in addition to the weekly rhythm, if you will, God gave them an annual calendar. That annual calendar is in verse 14, and it just simply reads this way. Three times a year, you shall celebrate a feast to me. Now, Jared, if you could put up the calendar just for a second so that folks can see it. So actually, when you begin to study Jewish history and you look at the the Bible, seven feasts were established for the children of Israel. You can see all the way over here, this is springtime number one. This is the first uh, holiday on on the religious calendar. That would be the Passover. Now, if you look at those first three feasts right up there, uh, those all happen in the same weekend. Friday was the Passover. Saturday was unleavened bread. And that was the beginning of a seven-day holiday. So Friday is a single holiday, a single Passover evening, if you will, or day. Then moving into Saturday, the Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. And so what happened was, in uh, the history of the Jewish people, unleavened bread kind of became the idea of the combined feast of Passover, unleavened bread, and even the feast of first fruits. So here's the way the spring festivals have been fulfilled. Jesus died on Passover, just fulfilling the lamb imagery that we've already studied in Exodus 12. He was buried on the feast of unleavened bread, And Jesus, of course, was the unleavened Messiah. And he rose again on the feast of first fruits. And of course, he is the first fruits of the resurrection, guaranteeing the full harvest that will come in. Now, that would be what we would call a past fulfillment. And I I mentioned to you that these feasts have significance for us in the church because the church has experienced that that fulfillment, though it is a fulfillment of... uh, the children of Israel's history in in a major holiday for them. It's fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, as John the Baptist puts it, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus fulfills the Passover lamb imagery, dies, buried on unleavened bread, rises on the Feast of Firstfruits, and that's the past. And you can see that at the bottom of the slide. That has been fulfilled in the person of Christ, never to occur again. He only died once for the sins of all people, all time, etc. Now, the fourth feast that's listed up there is the Feast of Weeks. The Jews would call it Shavuot. We know it as the Feast of Pentecost. What they would do is from the Feast of First Fruits, they would count 50 days. It was actually seven Sabbaths and uh, an extra day there. And so they would do something called the Counting of the Omer. Now, the Omer is simply just like a grain offering. It's the weight of a grain offering. And from the time that the First Fruits uh, concluded, the Feast of First Fruits, they began to count up towards 50. So it would be 50 days from first fruits to Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks. That is the Feast of Pentecost. And so if you just take a look on the calendar here for a second, this is how it worked. You can see how it falls, what month it falls in. And basically, you move from the spring feast, the first three, to something that happens in the summer, or we would say the early summer. And depending on the chronology of the calendar, it could be even the late spring, but it's 50 days from what we, can, we would consider our Easter weekend. That's kind of how we would call it. And then what you have is you have three fall feasts. Now, the present uh, vernacular there at the bottom of the fourth festival is because we are in the age of the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit fell on the church Get this, on the day of Pentecost. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that deep and profound? Now, here's how this works. Jesus, Acts 1-3, appeared over a period of 40 days, and he was preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God to his followers post-resurrection appearances. So if you've ever wondered, well, how long did this all go down post-resurrection where Jesus was interacting with his followers, a period of 40 days, Acts 1, verse 3. And then the church assembled after that, and Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem 
until the promise of my father comes. How long did they wait in Jerusalem? 10 days. The 40 days he appeared over a period of 40 days, preaching, teaching about the kingdom of God. They wait 10 more days. You know why they waited 10 more days? Because the Spirit came on Pentecost, fulfilling the feast and bringing the harvest. All of these are harvest festivals as well. And what happened on the feast of Pentecost is Peter preached and the people had come for a pilgrim feast, three mandatory feasts. You've got to come to appear before the Lord. And of course, that became Jerusalem where the temple was. And when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came into the harvest. Amen? Amen? By the power of the preaching of the gospel through the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached, right? So that fulfilled the feast of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon the church, empowered the church. We now live in the, you could call it the age of the church or the age of the Spirit, where whenever one turns to the Lord, we are born again of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We become empowered by the Spirit. We're sealed by the Spirit, etc. Now, that is Jesus's uh, passion. This is the beginning of the church. And now the future, if you look at the right side here, three feasts that were practiced in Israel's history, but we would say have a future fulfillment as well. So the spring feasts have been fulfilled. The summer feast, if you will, has been fulfilled, but we're living in that age. And yet to come are three fall feasts. That would be the Feast of Trumpets. This would be kind of our September, October, the fall this would be the Day of Atonement. And then finally, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, of those seven feasts that you see, and seven is the, the number of perfection or completion, three were mandatory pilgrim feasts. So they're up there on the screen for you. You have Passover, Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. It's called Weeks because they counted seven weeks, seven Sabbaths, until the uh, Pentecost. And then the last mandatory feast, the far right, number seven, tabernacles. So here's the pilgrim feast. Passover, Pentecost, tabernacles. You say, what do you mean by pilgrim feast? Here's what I mean. These specific three feasts, as you just read in verse 14 of Exodus 23, are mandatory for all males, verse 17, to appear before God and to appear in the place of his choosing the place of his choosing became Jerusalem. And so what happened was when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, all the Jews from all these different lands assembled. That's why there were people who spoke all these different languages. Uh, we hear them speaking in, in our native tongue. How is this possible? They're Galileans, but we hear them speaking in our tongues. Now they were all Jewish people. The early church was all Jewish, but they were coming for the pilgrim feasts to honor the Lord. And that's why they were all there. And that's why thousands of people came to the Lord on the day of Pentecost. Because that, that was actually a festival mandatory for people to be there. So when you think about this, you, and you think of uh, the records of the Passover in Jesus's life and uh, so forth, you think of Pentecost and you think of tabernacles. Each time one of these feasts occurred, everybody able-bodied male was supposed to come. And by extension, what happened was families would come. So it'd be husbands and wives. And from what I can see in, in my understanding of the Bible, uh, males were expected to come from the age of 12 or 13 and up. Uh, but however, I think we're, we're going to see records of Jesus coming uh, when he was very young as a baby, if you will. And then, of course, at the time when he would uh, reach a bar mitzvah age, which is uh, the age of 13. So um, the whole nation had three times a year to come together, spring, summer, and fall. Now here's something I was thinking about. I mentioned to you that we're doing a national day of prayer, and that national day of prayer is the first Thursday of May, and I think it was declared uh, might, might have been Reagan. I'm trying to remember what president uh, called for it. But I was trying to think of what is it that brings the larger church together 
on an annual basis. Can you think of anything? Now, it's hard enough to get churches together for the National Day of Prayer. Uh, I mentioned to you last Sunday that the Jehovah's Witnesses have an annual celebration they do where it's very outreach-oriented for them. But I just wonder, what is it that we do to come together? Now, in a local body, here's the really good news. We come together every Lord's Day, amen? And sometimes twice a week, and some of you grew up, and you were drugged in your early life, <laughs> drugged to church on Wednesday, drugged to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, etc. And, uh, you know, you, you got used to that rhythm, if you will. But what is the application to us as believers? Something I want you to just take note of. It seems to me that these major feasts all had a corporate dimension to them. In other words, they were done with a large group of people together. And that, now I go back to the purpose of the church. In a very individualistic age that we live in, where we kind of just, it's very easy to be a maverick and kind of run solo, that was not what God wanted for his people. He said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, Hebrews 10, 24, 25, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so corporate worship brings many layers of blessing. Uh, we serve one another, we encourage one another, etc. So these three festivals, pilgrim festivals of the seven, were where people traveled. And they traveled to celebrate a feast three times a year. Look at 14. I want you to come and celebrate a feast to me. God was the focus of the feast or the festival. It wasn't, the, the, it wasn't necessarily the nation's national history, although that's a factor, of course. They're celebrating deliverance from Egypt and the Passover. It wasn't necessarily even the celebration of one another, although there are things that we can rejoice in in one another. The feast or the festival was to God. And I think there's a lesson in that as well, that when we come to worship, our main focus is the Lord. Amen? Now, we obviously benefit from the gifts of other people, and we love seeing one another and, and so forth. But when we come into corporate worship, the focus is God. The focus is the Lord, the one who purchased our redemption. And then everything else takes care of itself from there. So these, were, these fell in, at certain times of the year so that they didn't necessarily in, interfere with harvest time, but they were kind of the uh, times after or before. And so they were more relaxed times where people could get involved. See the idea of celebrate a feast to me? That's a single, celebrate a feast is a single Hebrew word called kagag, C-H-A-G-A-G, -A -G -A -G, kagag. In Hebrew, it speaks of a sacred procession, celebrate a, a feast, to observe or hold a festival, to make a pilgrimage or make a pilgrim feast. It means to celebrate, to be giddy, to dance. At the heart of these celebrations is the Lord himself and his wonderful works and blessings. And so the nation would travel wherever they may dwell, whether they lived in northern Israel in the Galilee region, whether they lived you know, in Judea, wherever they lived. Maybe there were Jews that were in Egypt or in you know, uh, Jordan, etc. They would all come. So a quote to help us. Full biblical worship is always corporate. From the point of view of comprehensive theology, says this one writer, this is because all proper worship on earth is proleptic, Imitation of and preparation for eventual worship in heaven, which is consistently portrayed as corporate. These festivals were to picture what was ahead. For example, what is ahead for us is a time of tabernacling with the Lord, which was the last feast, the seventh feast, where he will dwell with us and we with him. That's going to be literally fulfilled. And a little foretaste of that is right now when we assemble together. Some of you got the chance to go to Beit Shalom 
which is a uh, Jewish Messianic congregation on the Feast of Tabernacles. They had a sukkah built. Uh, a sukkah is the actual tent that Jewish people will make to reflect the tents during the wilderness wanderings. And they built a sukkah, and they had food and everything and worship. And uh, I think I heard some 70 to 100 people from this fellowship went there. It was celebrated in the parking lot. There was some joined music together and readings and so forth. And it was a great time. And that is an example of this corporate idea. And there, Jew and Gentile coming together is a beautiful picture. And so these are the feasts that God has laid out, the annual pilgrim feasts. And they are prophetic. They, of course, one pointing to the first coming of Jesus the second coming, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church, and then the last mandatory pilgrim feast, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at verse 15. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread as I commanded you. Now God laid this out in Exodus chapter 12. And this was the final plague that happened to Egypt. And God said, I'm going to pass over Egypt on that night, and I want you to take the blood of a lamb... The lamb was taken into the household. If you could put the calendar back up there for me, Jarrett. The lamb was taken into the household, the first of three mandatory feasts on Nisan 10. That would be like the Monday of Passover week. So you selected a lamb without spot or blemish. And that whole week, that lamb became part of your household. It became almost like a pet. But all week long, you were anticipating that that lamb had to die for the sins of the household on the Friday, if you will, of Passover week, or the, the, the days are almost irrelevant here, but you get my point. And so here's what's going on. The lamb is welcomed. So this Sunday, uh, Alex is going to preach on the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. And here he comes on the colt, the foal of a donkey, and he presents himself to the nation. And the nation is singing the halal songs to him and lauding him. And the uh, Pharisees are not happy with the singing and prescribing messianic psalms to Jesus. And Jesus weeps over the city. That whole week, he was the lamb inspected. They asked him question after question about taxes, etc. And he answered every single question. He was inspected and found to be without spot and without blemish. He became the lamb for the nation. And then he would die uh, on the Passover that week and pay for the sins, not only of Israel, but the sins of the entire world. So God laid out a calendar, and that calendar was the lamb is selected, and then the lamb was inspected, and then the lamb was killed. And of course, the Feast of Unleavened Bread which is literally the Feast of Matzah, um, commemorates a real historic event in the life of Israel and then a final historical event in the death of the Messiah. That has been done. The price has been paid in full. Amen? Amen. Exodus twelve fifteen says, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove leaven from your house, Whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. It's a very serious thing. God said in uh, Exodus 13.10, Therefore you shall keep this ordinance as at its appointed time from year to year. Every year I want you to celebrate the Passover. Every year when the Feast of Unleavened Bread commences, the, the day after the Passover, I want all leaven out of your house. So those of you who are part of this fellowship, we take the Lord's Supper usually once a month on a Sunday, and we have a, a cracker, if you will, and it's a piece of matzah. It is unleavened bread, because that is the picture the Messiah was unleavened. And so we take the matzah, and we take the juice, and we remember. What do we remember? That he is our Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5 talks about a man in the Corinthian church who was uh, compromising, and that's a generous word, sexually. We'll leave it alone there. I think most of you know the story. 
and Paul was challenging the church to deal with them. And he basically says, we would say it this way, a little, a little, uh, a bad apple spoils the whole bunch. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And then he says, clean out the leaven. So basically that was an influence in the church that was having a negative impact. And Paul, using the image of leaven, used an individual in this case, and, and essentially said, if this individual won't repent, then he is leavenness to your congregation. Therefore, he needs to be out. Now, of course, Paul wanted him to repent, and that was the goal, the ultimate goal. And then he says to the Corinthian congregation, largely Gentile church, you now sweep out the old leaven out of your lives and celebrate the feast in sincerity and truth. This is all in 1 Corinthians 5, like 1 through 8. Here's the point. We as believers have a part to play in this. Our part is to regularly sweep leaven out of our lives. Amen? What is leaven? Anything that puffs you up. <laughs> That's one kind of funny way to think about it. It's anything that might make you prideful or focus on the flesh or get yourself in trouble. You've got to get it out of your life. You've got to sweep the leaven out regularly. It, don't, it doesn't take long until it creeps back in. You, you know, you put butter on a bagel and all of a sudden the little crumbs fall down. You know, just empty your toaster. You'll see it. It's all there. Now, when Jesus showed up on the scene, one of the first things that he, do, he did early in John's gospel is he, he swept out the temple. John chapter 2, and then later on, he sweeps out the temple for a second time. And Jesus Christ, sweeping out the temple, and of course, he did it the last week of his uh, life, lamb inspected. As soon as he made the triumphal entry, you know, basically, he cleansed the temple. What was he doing? He was sweeping the leaven out of his father's house. And he said these words. My father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. You have made it a den of thieves. You are leavenous. Who? What was he attacking? Their whole system. Them. That's why they didn't like him, because he challenged them. They were making money hand over fist by what they had made the court of Gentiles to be. But the Gentiles had come seeking the Lord, and they were being ripped off by the religious leaders. And Jesus said, no, 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 you ain't going to do that anymore. This is my father's house. And he swept the leaven out of his father's house during Passover week in preparation for the Passover. So... You can see the picture. Now the application to me is I regularly have to look at what's leavenous in my life. Sometimes it's the guy staring right back at me in the mirror. Sometimes it's things that I've allowed in my life, etc. But the first of the three pilgrim feasts is Passover. And I will say this. I do believe that a second Passover is coming. And I believe that when the Lord appears, you, you guys remember when the ninth plague occurred, the ninth plague was a plague of, you remember? Darkness. It was a darkness that people could feel. And then the Passover came. If you look at the end times events, if you look at the day of the Lord, uh, just kind of follow the chronology, there's going to be a worldwide darkness prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. A second Passover, if you will. And what will be the determiner as to whether or not you're in good standing with God or not is whether or not the blood of the Lamb has been applied to your life. Amen? So um, this is what the Lord lays out in, first, in, the, in terms of the first feast let me just show you, uh, hold your place in Exodus, go to Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So just the next book to your right. Leviticus 23 is an in-depth treatment of the feasts that we've put before you. Leviticus 23 uh, lays this out, and I just want you to take a look at this so you can see 
a section that you can study more if you want to look more in depth. But take a peek. Le- uh, Leviticus 23.1 says, The Lord spoke again to Moses, saying, 23.2, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim or call out as holy convocations, my appointed times are these. Now, the appointed times in the New American Standard Bible, that two-word phrase is a single word called moed. It would be spelled like I just mowed my lawn, M-O-W-E-D. It means an appointment, a fixed time or season, specifically a festival. It would be a good thought to think of a wedding invitation. Uh, The son of so-and-so is going to marry the daughter of so-and-so family at this time in the afternoon on this date. Be there or be square. Do you want tri-tip or salmon (laughs) or the veggie plate? So... These were divine appointments. God set the calendar. It was up to you to get there. So I would submit to you that each time the doors of of a church open on a Lord's Day Sunday, it's on God's calendar that you would meet him here. Now, I'm not talking about some legalistic thing. I'm just simply saying that when God's people meet together on the first day of the week, this is the blessing Remember, the meaning of festival means joy, happiness, even giddiness, and even has the implication of dance. Now, of course, these were special annual festivals, but still, you you could walk in here and not, uh, you don't have to look like you ate a banana upside down when you walk in. You you can come in with a smile. (laughs) And I know a lot of you do, especially if you run into like Paul Hicks. You'll get the anointing right at the door. Now, the, the appointed times are there, uh, appointed feasts. And then notice something else about them. They're called holy convocations, NIV. They're called sacred assemblies. This is the word mikra, if you're interested, M-I-Q-R-A in English. And it's a sacred assembly, a convocation like a, you can think of a congregation coming together, but it also has the meaning mikra of a rehearsal or specifically a dress rehearsal, mikra. So get this. So when uh, uh, the children of Israel celebrated these feasts, they were also dress rehearsals. For what? For the coming of the Messiah? For the coming of the Holy Spirit? For the ultimate second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, they reflected on past blessings, of course, uh, the Passover deliverance from Egypt, the uh, initial, the, the blessing of the crops, etc. We can think of the coming of the Holy Spirit in our, uh, p- the past to us. The tabernacle celebration was to commemorate God's care for the children of Israel in the 40-year wanderings in the wilderness. And they lived in temporary shelters. And the, if you've ever seen a picture of this, in the middle of the camp was the tabernacle, the temporary uh, temple, if you will, until the permanent temple was built later. That was in the middle. And then the tribes aligned from it, forming a cross, by the way. North, south, east, west. It's really intriguing when you look at the numbers of the tribes and how they're supposed to be camped. It's exactly what uh, emerges. If you were looking from above, that's what you would see. And so these are dress rehearsals uh, for the future. The Jews, of course, for 1,500 years were celebrating Pentecost, and then the Spirit came. So this is the meaning of the language. Now, If you just keep reading, you'll see how the feasts are laid out. On the 14th day of this month at twilight, you shall observe it at its appointed time. And the the first uh, feasts are being laid out. You shall observe it according to the statutes, according to all its ordinances. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, Jesus died at three in the afternoon. 
uh, Josephus believed, said that twilight was three in the afternoon, is the Lord's Passover. It's the Lord's Passover, notice. Then on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of what? Unleavened bread, there's matzah, to the Lord for seven days. So the feast was a total of eight days, a single day for the Passover, a seven-day feast for unleavened bread, and that's when nobody was to eat anything leavened during that whole time. So this is how the book of Leviticus lays it out, and this is how um, in our Bibles we can see the Lord giving them the instruction of their, uh, you could call it their religious calendar. So let me just uh, take you back to the book of Exodus now. I've, I'm resisting the temptation to go deep on each feast because I'm supposed to do three feasts and we're going to quickly run out of time. So let's go to the second feast in Exodus 23, 16. You shall observe the Feast of Harvest. This is another name for the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, Exodus 23, 16, or of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. And then also you'll notice the Feast of Ingathering is Tabernacles at the end of the year or the fall when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. So the Feast of Pentecost comes. It's been 50 days since Jesus rose from the dead. The church is assembled in the upper room. They're waiting expectantly, and the Holy Spirit comes down. What kind of phenomena take place? Rushing wind, tongues as a fire over each one. By the way, the rabbis said that they believed that the law was given on the Feast of Pentecost. They believe the Ten Commandments were given on Pentecost. Fifty days from the time that Israel was delivered from Egyptian bondage, 50 days to get to Mount Sinai and receive the law. And they, they would say, you need to see the wind and the fire, the sound and sight phenomena as perhaps a connection to Mount Sinai. And so 3,000 people died when the law was given. 3,000 people got saved when the Holy Spirit came. Just, just an amazing connection here. And so the Passover was the bringing in of the barley harvest the, in the spring. The wheat harvest was the Feast of Pentecost. And that came in the uh, early summer or late spring. Just to keep it simple in our minds, just think of summertime. And here's what happened. The Holy Spirit came upon the church, and all of a sudden, they had an incredible harvest. You know, you start reading the book of Acts, and what do you see? The church grows and grows and grows until it's thousands and thousands of people. And the whole Roman Empire essentially gets permeated with the gospel within a period of what? 250 years? That's pretty amazing. A little band of 12, what we would say were nobodies, changed the entire world by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So can our country change? Can we see uh, you know, the darkness lift and all the stuff that we would say, what in the world's going on and how do we think this way and What's happened to us? Can that lift? Yes. But it's going to take a move of the Holy Spirit through the people of God. And so if you want a parallel verse, Deuteronomy 16, 16 says, three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, at the Feast of Booths, another name for tabernacles, which is also known as Sukkot. Sukkot. And so uh, with that in mind, turn back to Leviticus 23. Let me show you a look at the second um, festival. Leviticus 23. We'll just turn back and forth just one more time. Look at 23.10. Speak to the sons of Israel, Leviticus 23.10, and say to them, when you enter the land which I'm going to give you and reap its harvest, 23.10, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. This, uh, of course, is on that first uh, Passover weekend. 
He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now on the day when you wave the sheaf, 2312, you shall offer a male lamb one year old without defect for a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering by fire to the Lord for a soothing aroma with its libation, a fourth of a hin of wine. Until this same day, until you have brought in the offering of your God, you shall eat neither bread nor roasted grain nor new growth. It's to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. You shall also count for yourself from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, seven complete Sabbaths. So the day after is one day, and then you have 49 days, there's your 50. You shall count 50 days. 50 is penti. Uh, that's where we get Pentecost. To the day after the seventh Sabbath, you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be, now, now you can have flour, shall be a flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Sometimes it makes me wonder if we have a kind of a look at Jew and Gentile there, etc. But this offering now is presented to the Lord in keeping with the way the feasts go and how the Lord worked. I, I pointed out to you the 120 believers in the upper room, uh, how this all unfolded, and then the day of Pentecost came. So that's the other feast. And then back to Exodus one more time, 23. The final feast that we look at as far as the pilgrim feast is t tabernacles. Exodus 23, look at verse 16. You shall observe the, the harvest of the feast of first fruits from your labors, from what you sow in the field. Also the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God. Now the last feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, was a wonderful celebration. In fact, in Israel, Tabernacles was literally called the holiday. And all the Jewish people from all distant lands would uh, they would come to the land and they would all begin to build sukkahs. They would build these little tents all over the landscape and they had to be, I think it was less than a Sabbath day journey away. So you can imagine now perhaps candles, a little flickering uh, lamps in each of these tents. Imagine if you were overhead, just kind of the light show of all these people who had come to assemble for the feast and they would be you know, on the, outside the city and so forth. And then here's what would happen. During the Feast of Tabernacles, during the week, they had two major celebrations or rites, R-I-T-E-S. One was a water-pouring ceremony during the day, and one was a lamp-lighting ceremony at night. So during the day, they would have this, uh, they would get, go get water from the Pool of Siloam, which means scent. They would go into the temple area, and the priest would be leading a procession to the altar. And he would have what they considered to be living water within this pitcher. And the people would follow him and they'd all be giddy and celebratory. And he would raise the pitcher as he was above the altar. And they'd say, raise it higher! Raise it higher! Raise it higher! And the priest would be reaching on his tippy toes. And people would say, if you've never saw, seen the water pouring ceremony in Israel, then you've not lived, man! And so raise it higher, raise it higher. And then he would pour the water out. And they would also have a wine offering simultaneously. Get this, the wine and the water. When Jesus died, blood and water came out, which is really interesting. And so they would have this ceremony. And on one of the days of the great feast, according to John 7, probably while this very feast was happening, Jesus said these words, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture says, from his innermost beings, being will flow torrents of living water. This he spoke of the spirit. So as the ceremony was going on, 
the Lord proclaimed himself as the one who dispenses living water. Amen? John chapter 7, 37 through 39. Now, in between those verses, there's a story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. Some people debate whether or not it belongs there. Uh, I'll just set that aside. I think it's where it belongs. But in John 8, 12, Jesus made another declaration. Now get this. In the evening in Jerusalem, during tabernacles, they would have an evening rite or celebration. It was called the lighting of the candelabra. The candelabra, four of them in the court of the women inside the temple precincts, uh, they would wrap them in, with priestly, leftover priestly garments or swaddling cloths, perhaps. And they would climb up these huge candelabras with oil and the, the cloth, and they would light them. And each of these four candelabras were supposed to be at the height of the highest walls of the temple, 75 feet high. People said, if you saw Jerusalem during the ta- uh, candle lighting ceremony of tabernacles, it was the light of the world. And so they would do this, and they say that the, they would take the, the priestly garments and the they would uh, you know, fill them up with the oil and light them, and priests would begin, begin to whirl and dance around the area where the candelabra were lit. And Jesus in John 8, 12 said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. They will have the light of life. Both of these declarations happen during tabernacles. And Jesus basically says, if you want to know who the glory cloud was when you went through the uh, wilderness wanderings, if you want to know who provided the water from the rock, which is what the water pouring ceremony commemorated, that was me. And if you want to find the fulfillment of those uh, occasions and miracles, you will find them only in me. I am the one who gives living water. I am the light of the world. I am the Passover lamb. I am the one who gives the spirit. I baptize with the spirit, amen? See, this is how, I I gave you a word called proleptic, and this is some of the idea of this, that there's future fulfillment. Each of us, if you look at the calendar, have experienced the Passover lamb If you're a Christian, you've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, in this uh, Feast of Tabernacles, there's something else. Because the book of John says that Jesus Christ tabernacled among us. And we beheld, John 1.14, his glory. So he came to tabernacle among us. And that was a foretaste. He's coming again, and we will forever be with our Lord. So this one uh, final pilgrim feast, if you will, in the fall is yet to be fulfilled. And this is why some people believe that perhaps Jesus will return in the fall of one of these years ahead of us. I don't know for sure, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least if God were to fulfill that calendar to the T. And we don't know, of course, the... the, uh, all the details of that, but I'll leave that to you to consider. And so here comes Jesus, and he comes in tabernacles among us. He offers himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He offers us, he goes back to heaven, and he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Spirit won't come. So he goes away, and what does he do? He pours out a blessing that we cannot contain. Grace upon grace. Every time your cup's a little bit empty, all you got to do is dip it back in the ocean. The waves will keep coming for you. Amen? So these pilgrim feasts all point, you could say, to the past, to the present, and to the future for the believer. And they're great reminders of a rhythm of life that we're to have. And so what would the application be for me as a believer? Each time I take the Lord's Supper, I remember my Passover lamb. And I remember what I've been delivered from. Each time I gather with God's people or experience an infilling of the Holy Spirit, 
I celebrate the fact that the Spirit came. God did not have to give his Holy Spirit to us, but he did. And he came to be our comforter, the one who comes alongside us to help us. Amen? And then thinking of a future when we will tabernacle with our God or he will tabernacle among us is a beautiful, hopeful uh, picture. And uh, there's much more that I could say, but I think for us tonight, these are the, the beautiful uh, ways that the feast point to our realities in Christ. Oh Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for these three pilgrim feasts and how you called the people to yourself through each of them. Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Each of them having great significance to remember what the Lord has done for us in the past. To remember his present blessings and to look forward to the future with hope and expectation. Thank you for who we are in Jesus and thank you that in the body of Christ, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter where we've come from, uh, we are one in Jesus. And you call, Lord, you call even today. You called us to yourself. You called us to come to the one who gives life through the blood of the lamb, the one who gives the spirit and the one who will tabernacle among anyone who simply will say, Lord Jesus, will you save me and come and live in me? Thank you for the beautiful promises that are found in Messiah Christ. They are yes and amen. Now with your head and heart bowed, if you uh, just let the word of God richly dwell in you, let it uh, do some work in areas of your life where maybe you feel like some leaven has gotten in. Let it uh, just wash those things away. Uh, think about his goodness. Think about who he is. The, the celebrations are unto him. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you just as we are. We can come and find mercy through the blood, power through the spirit, hope through the hope of heaven and our future together. We're so grateful. Would you let the living waters of your Holy Spirit flow over your people tonight? Bless them, keep them. Let your beautiful face shine upon them and give them shalom.